Over the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at a passage of Scripture in 2 Corinthians. I want to invite you to turn there. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and we're going to be looking at chapters 8 and 9, and we're going to be looking at this passage in its context and just walking through these two chapters together. And the sermon series is called Generosity Is, and my hope is that we will walk away with four um, indicative statements, generosity is, and then fill in the blank, so that we have a biblical understanding of generosity. And I want to say a couple of things on the outset of this, because I realize that anytime um, a pastor talks about generosity, that can be... uh, you know, an interesting moment um, in the life of a church because it's like, well, what, what are we after here? You know, like, is there a, a shortfall financially? Or are you just trying to get people to give more? Those kind of things. So let me just say a few things. Number one, this was something that had already been scheduled even before this moment. Because some of you might say, man, Chad, really the timing on this um, probably is not so great. People are having to meet deductibles. They got hurricane damage, all those kind of things. I, I see the sovereign hand of God all the more as I've come to this passage because what Paul is going to commend to us today is during a time of severe trial and, and, and deep poverty that it, it arose within the church in Macedonia an abundant um, generosity. And so I look and I actually say that we're maybe even more positioned to hear the word of the Lord and what God's word wants in us and for us is it concerns generosity that maybe we would have been had there not been a hurricane. And so just, just walk with me over these next four weeks, trusting that this is God's good timing for his church at First Baptist New Orleans, um, that we might be full of the Spirit and abundant in our generosity to those in need in this moment. Second, I want to say this, um, talking about generosity isn't because we're increasing the budget next year. In fact, we decreased the budget next year. So I want to just be able to say to you that this is not some um, manipulation tactic from God's Word to get people to give more money to First Baptist New Orleans. Instead, the passage is written to the church. So this isn't about getting you individually to do something um, when you go home and are doing your finances. Instead, this is a message to us collectively so that that which is given corporately is then um, used and resourced in a way that's in accordance with God's Word. So we want to biblically as a church, because we want to be a biblically thriving church, have a firm understanding of what God expects from us corporately as the body of Christ as it comes to being a generous church. And so that's why we're looking at it, and we're looking at it from that perspective. Now, does that have implications for you as an individual member? Of course. And there's always this, you know, individual but also corporate identity to the body of Christ. We're we're parts um, of one body, and so there is the individual parts, but also there's always the coming back together of one body. So as we look at this, I just want to say those things at the outset, that this isn't because we're increasing the budget and we're trying to get people to give more. That has nothing to do with it. In fact, we are making move to be a more generous church toward things like disaster relief. We're increasing what we're giving to the cooperative program that buys all of the resources that make disaster relief possible in different states. So just know that, that we're trying to be even more generous. But in this moment of disaster and difficulty in our region, what does God's Word say about generosity? And my hope is that when we come out on the other side of this, that there will be an abundance of joy within the body as we continue Let me say that, continue in the spirit of generosity that I've already seen in this body from the first day that I got here until the current one of a heart that says, what can I do? A heart that says, how can we help? A heart that says, what can we give? So know that I've seen that in you, and I hope that going through God's word together will bring us all the more into this land of generosity. So 
turning to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. I want to invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word. And this morning, we're just going to be looking at the first six verses. And so I want you to hear the Word of the Lord from 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Beginning in verse 1, Paul writes, We want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that was given to the churches of Macedonia. During a severe trial brought about by affliction, their abundant joy and their extreme poverty overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. I can testify that according to their ability, and even beyond their ability, of their own accord, they begged us earnestly for the privilege of sharing in the ministry to the saints. And not just as we had hoped. Instead, they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us by God's will. So we urged Titus that just as he had begun, so he should also complete among you this act of grace. Will you pray with me? Lord, would you please speak to us about this act of grace this morning? Would you remind us, God, that this is not about us, but it is about you and your kindness toward us in Christ? So, Father, speak today from the good ground of your word that we might bear much fruit. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You can be seated. The other reason that I can speak to you about this passage about generosity is because generosity is all about a a spiritual condition and not a financial position. Let me say that again. Generosity is a spiritual condition, not a financial position. And that spiritual condition is this, the power and the presence of the gospel of Jesus Christ in the life of the church. That's why I can speak to you about generosity and why any pastor from God's Word should be able to speak to the church about generosity is because generosity is all about a spiritual condition that is only made possible through the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, Paul goes on, and I want to go ahead and give you a preview for next week in verse 9. He says this, For you know that the grace of our Lord, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. What is Paul communicating? He's communicating the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's saying generosity is not about your financial position. He's not writing to the church in Corinth because they're loaded or they have deep pockets or because they've got resources that maybe could fund the work that he's trying to do. Instead, he knows that in the life of the church, generosity is all about the gospel. That's where he anchors it, and that's why he says it ought to be evident in the life of the church, and that's why he can lift up this example, this church in Macedonia. You'll remember Macedonia. Macedonia was that place that Paul went after the Lord was closing different doors. He was trying to go into Asia, and the Spirit of Christ would not allow him. He was trying to go to Bithynia, and, and, and the Spirit of Jesus would not allow it. And then he had a dream, a vision, if you will, of a man in Macedonia saying, come over and preach the gospel to us. And so that's exactly what he does. He sets out, and there becomes established a church, believers, people responding to the gospel that then ultimately leads him to travel down south of that Macedonian region that puts him in Corinth. 
And so he's connecting all of these dots. He's got a kind of a trail of churches that he's gone on. And now he's writing to the church in Corinth again. Last week we were in 1 Corinthians, which represented a, a first letter. And now we're in 2 Corinthians, which represents a second letter to Paul. And in 2 Corinthians, he's addressing, he's coming back to some of the matters that have been contended with in 1 Corinthians that now he understands have been resolved. In fact, he's kind of dealing with some of the similar issues of this one that he had to call out that was Caught, that was caught in sin and doing these things, that now they needed to be able to restore him if there has been repentance in his life. And so he's kind of guiding them through these things. But now he's also got his eyes set. And we know by this point in Paul's life and journey, he really has come to understand that the power of his ministry is to bring the gospel to the places where it's not been yet known. Uh, that he's wanting to go further and further up toward Rome and Italy and, and beyond to bring the gospel further and further and further. And so he's writing to them to involve them in this ministry. But you'll remember from last week that this ministry to the saints of which he's speaking most likely is a time of great need in the church in Jerusalem. We know from history that they went through a time of severe famine, that there was also persecution for believers in this area, both from Jews, but also from Rome. And so we know that these believers are going through an intense time of affliction, an intense time of poverty, and that Paul has seen it fit that according, just as we saw in Acts chapter 15, when James said to consider the poor and to remember them, Paul says, that's exactly what I was eager to do in Galatians chapter 2. I wanted to remember them. I, I wanted to be faithful to that. And so to demonstrate his faithfulness to the church that started in Jerusalem, everywhere he goes, he is involving the churches and supporting the mother church, if you will, where it all began to be sure that they're cared for in their time of need. And so he cites this example using this church at Macedonia. And it's this church in Macedonia that helps to put on display from the Apostle Paul that generosity is a spiritual condition and not a financial position. You see, that's what we believe today. I, I, wanna, I, wanna, I want you to consider for a moment your current thoughts about generosity. That when you think about generosity... Do you tend to kind of play to what the culture says of that only generous people are people that have a lot of money? That, that that's what generosity is all about. That you've got to have a bunch in order to give a bunch. And so you think of yourself perhaps not as a generous person. Perhaps you think about this definition of being generous with your time, that you've got to be retired. A lot of our friends from North Carolina are in that season of life and they are giving generously of their retirement time. But does that mean that you've got to wait until you're 65 or older in order to be able to serve and to be generous with your time? Do you believe that generosity is more about a financial position or a season of life than it is a spiritual condition? Because God's word today speaks to us a message about it being a spiritual condition that ought to be manifest in the life of every single believer. And we'll see it kind of unpacked in three, in three ways. First of all, in verse 1, we read this. We want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that was given to the churches of Macedonia. So the first thing we see is this. Being generous as a church is evidence of God's grace. Being generous as a church is evidence of God's grace. In verse 1, that phrase, was given, is a passive participle. And what that means is that God is doing the action. 
So in other words, God is giving the church in Macedonia grace in order to be generous. That's an important thing for us to understand is that right now for us to be able to be a generous church requires the grace of God. We are dependent on God even to be generous with the funds that we receive as a church and how we spend money as a church. You individually are dependent on the grace of God in order to be a generous person. Because left to our own, we often have hidden motivations for our generosity. Left to our own, we will tend toward doing things in order to receive the recognition of men, the praise of men, in order perhaps to position ourselves to get something. I'll scratch your back if you scratch my back. You see, left to our own, apart from the grace of God, we will appear generous. You can give large sums of money, but the spiritual condition of your generosity is not that of what is described here as given by God. So first and foremost, we must see this. Being generous as a church is evidence of God's grace at work among us. You see, Paul, I mean, Jesus said it this way in Matthew chapter 7, verse 20. He said, you'll recognize them by their fruit. Now, what's the context there? He says, good trees produce good fruit. Bad trees produce bad fruit. And then he says, you'll recognize the tree by its fruit. And Jesus being very clear as he goes on in that passage that true, genuine believers will bear fruit that come from being born again. And those that are trying to produce fruit, we talked about this in a previous sermon, they'll have Hobby Lobby fruit. It it, it looks real, but it's fake. You go to bite into it and it's going to be a broken tooth. Because it's hard. It looks good on the outside, but it's not the real substance of the fruit of God's Spirit. Paul says it this way, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Paul making clear that those that walk in darkness and in evil, they bear fruit. And he says it's idolatry and adultery and all of these different things. But then he says, those who have been born of the Spirit, who are occupied by the Spirit of God, the Spirit manifests His presence in your life by manifesting love, by manifesting joy, by manifesting all of these things. And I want you to see in this passage how it is that the Spirit of God manifests Himself God showing himself and how this is indeed an act of God's grace because it's in their poverty. Understand that. It's in their poverty that then generosity bursts through the soil and produces fruit. That only makes sense if there's something else at work inside of that person because they're in affliction. They're in poverty. So how on earth could, could, could this tree of generosity spring up out of the ground? Well, it's the work of God. You see, it's the same that we see evidenced again and again in the life of Paul. Paul in his life, demonstrating that when he and Silas were thrown into jail, they're in the stocks, they're in this miserable position, that about midnight in this jail in Philippi, they, they are singing songs of praise. Now, I mean, just, just wrap your head around this. They're, they're wrongfully imprisoned and injustice. They're in the stocks, a miserable position, and it's midnight. They can't even fall asleep. 
And what are they doing in this moment? Not moaning and this isn't fair and God, have you forgotten us and all of these things. They're singing songs of joy. How's that possible? Because the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness. It wasn't Paul and Silas and how great they were. It was how powerful the Spirit of God was at work in their weakness. And that's how God works. You see, this sermon isn't so much about First Baptist New Orleans and our generosity, because this sermon that Paul is preaching in, First, in Second Corinthians isn't so much about Corinth and their generosity. Instead, he puts on display another church. He says, this other church, this sister church of yours, this, the churches in Macedonia, they in their affliction, they in their poverty are an example to you. It's the same way that, that, the, that John, the apostle in Revelation chapter 2, verse 9, puts on display the church of Smyrna. And he says, I know your affliction and poverty. But then he reminds them, but you are rich. Paul is wanting to remind the church in, in Corinth that true riches, that true generosity is found in a spiritual condition. It is found in Christ, and he wants to demonstrate this. So he goes on, he says this, beginning in verse 2. During a severe trial brought about by affliction, their abundant joy and their extreme poverty overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. I can testify that according to their ability, and even beyond their ability, of their own accord, they begged us earnestly for the privilege of sharing in the ministry to the saints, and not just as we had hoped. I want you to see the formula that Paul puts on display in this passage. He says this, severe trial plus abundant joy plus extreme poverty equals a wealth of generosity. I want you to think about that, that equation. A severe trial plus abundant joy plus extreme poverty equals a wealth of generosity. I mean, only God gets the glory. Only God gets the credit. And as I look at that equation, and I think about the improbability of how it all adds up, that it's, it's in the worst of times, if you will, that we see this generosity, which brings us to our second point. Being generous as a church is a choice in good times and bad. Being generous as a church is a choice in good times and bad. You see, I've seen churches, especially my brothers and sisters in African-American churches in Lake Charles. I think back to my days during Hurricane Laura, when Lake Charles looked a lot like Reserve and Laplace does right now. I think back to Pastor Sam Tolbert, senior pastor of Greater St. Mary Missionary Baptist Church, Pastor, Pastor Tolbert is the president of the National Baptist Convention of America and became a dear friend in the months leading up to Hurricane Laura. And what I witnessed from him as his facility was severely impacted, as his home was severely impacted by the hurricane, all of these things was a constant concern for the people of God and not only for the flock that was his responsibility, but a championing for the churches of North Lake Charles, which were primarily African-American churches. They were primarily churches that in that moment would have been overlooked in a moment of resource distribution. 
Some of the churches like the church that I served in Lake Charles and at Trinity Baptist Church was in South Lake Charles. And it was an easy phone call for a lot of folks to be able to make a, 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 a donation to bring resources because we had a large facility. We had large parking lots to where we could stage different things and all of those things. But what I witnessed in my friendship with Pastor Sam was a constant, a constant championing for the people in his community that would have been easily overlooked and not only for his own congregation, but for other congregations. For Pastor Al over at New Sunlight Baptist Church. For, 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 for the different pastors that I came to have relationship with in North Lake Charles, Pastor Sam was constantly championing for them, even in his own affliction, even when every time I saw him, he was filled with abundant joy, giving praise to God his Father, and even in his own moment of extreme poverty, of being underinsured, of having not a lot of cash in the bank to, in order to fix things, resulting in an abundance, a wealth of generosity. So I thank God for my African-American brothers and sisters, for pastors like Pastor Sam Tolbert, and for Greater St. Mary Missionary Baptist Church in Lake Charles, who have taught and who have demonstrated the generosity of the churches at Macedonia. You see, it says, it goes on, according to their ability, Paul says, which means this, that if they had X amount of dollars, let's say $100 to give, that according to their ability, they, they gave. So maybe they needed $90 to live on, but they gave 10. But then notice he doesn't stop there. He says, and even beyond their ability. So they needed $90 to live on, but then they, they looked and they said, what can we go without? And so then they gave another $10. And, and then it says, and, and of their own accord. In other words, Paul wasn't saying, is that the best you can do? Really, do you, do you love the Lord or not? I mean, how much did Jesus give you when you need to give him? He wasn't doing these manipulation tactics. Instead, the fruit of God's Spirit in the life of this church in Macedonia was that they were saying, we want to give. In fact, it goes on to say, they begged us earnestly for the privilege of sharing in the ministry to the saints. That's the fruit of God's Spirit. That's what it looks like when a church is filled with the Spirit of God and they hear about the concerns of their brothers and sisters in different areas that are impacted. You see, right now we're acutely aware of Hurricane Ida and the damage that came from it. But it's easy sometimes to overlook the difficulty of our brothers and sisters in countries like Afghanistan that we talked about. To update you on that, in the, in the wee hours of, of their preparation, they had... Um, the disaster relief feeding unit of Louisiana had been mobilized and had already bought food that would be, um, that would be appropriate for feeding a, a Muslim group and had bought new equipment in order to do all these things. At the last minute, I talked to Stan Statham, our state director. He said that the, the government ended up kind of deciding to go a different direction. So there is not a feeding unit going on in Monroe right now. And so I just wanted to update you on that. That changed on Tuesday of this week. And that was a real disappointment because there were so many of you that reached out to me and say, if there's anything we can do uh, to help serve these, these, these folks that are refugees from Afghanistan, Stand, um, we want to know how we can help. And so I just wanted to update you on that. But it's that sort of, of a giving spirit, of, of hearing of needs that are going around, of places like Afghanistan, of, of our brothers and sisters right now in North Africa and some of the North African countries. It, it's the difficulty that our brothers and sisters are facing in, in Central Asia right now. 
that is of concern to the believers. And I have witnessed and seen how men and women, how churches rise to the occasion in order to help meet the need. I use Lesotho as a common example because it's a country where I was able to go multiple times. But let me just paint the picture of the beautiful resourcing of that, of that collaborative effort and how it looked. There in Lesotho, this sort of coming together to meet urgent needs found its way to ministering to churches during a time of famine. We arrived in Lesotho, we looked across the fields, and the way that they had their fields kind of stacked in these little squares all along the mountainous region that makes up almost 90% of the country, you just see these little pockets of dead corn, of dead plants. You just saw brown as far as the eye can see. And a drought had just devastated the crops. They were all just laid down. Everything that would have been green was brown and dead. And so we arrived there and we began to get our, our footing for what would our, 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 our mission look like. And we had come with our supplies, with food, you know, like some snacks for us and our clothes and stuff. But we didn't come with thousands of pounds of food to be able to give to those that were hungry. We didn't want to be a burden on them. So we had packed in our own food. But then we got there, we learned that what we would be doing is through the local churches in Lesotho, because of the generosity of Southern Baptists, we would be distributing a half million dollars over that next six months of corn, of ground corn, to the pastors in order to care for their villages in which they were leaders oftentimes. And so we began to go to each of these places, and we would bring with us thousands of pounds of ground corn that would sustain these families and these individuals and with no string attached. In other words, you didn't have to confess that you were a Christian in order to receive some food. We went with bold compassion. Here's food to feed your starving families, but also with bold proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This message that Jesus sees you in your need but your greatest need is the forgiveness of your sins. Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. That's what it looks like when churches who weren't necessarily able to go like we were, but they worked together in order to supply the resources so that we could together labor together to care for our brothers and sisters in other places. And you want to know the result? Family after family after family in Lesotho was coming to faith in Christ because they saw the love that we had for one another. Jesus said, by this, all men will know that you're my disciples, that you love one another. And don't miss it. The church in Corinth, the church in Macedonia was separated by over a thousand miles from the brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. There weren't airplanes to catch. There weren't cars and paved roads to take other than some of the better Roman roads that existed. But even then, there weren't motorized vehicles to get you there. It would take months to travel from here to here. And so these were men and women, boys and girls, they would never meet. They, they would never have the joy of bringing the gift, but their hearts were broken all the same. You see, in God's Word, this idea of being generous as a church is a choice in good times and bad is demonstrated and is heralded by Jesus himself in Luke chapter 21. When Jesus says this, he, he, Jesus, looked up and saw the rich dropping their offerings into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow dropping in two tiny coins. Truly, I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. 
For these people have put in gifts out of their surplus, but she, out of her poverty, has put in all she had to live on. Jesus, in his words, in his earthly ministry, preparing the disciples to understand this reality of generosity is not a financial position, but instead, just as the widow made a choice to put in all she had to live on, is a choice that, good, that churches must make in good times and bad. But then finally in this passage, what we see is this, being a generous church is first and foremost about fully giving ourselves to the Lord. And this is key to everything that we'll consider over the next few weeks. Because this is what this exemplar church, Paul's putting an example up before us, the church in Macedonia, that, that these brothers and sisters, out of their great affliction, their severe trial, abundant joy, extreme poverty, overflowed in a wealth of generosity to help people in need. He's putting them up as an example, but he says, here's what they did first. Instead, verse 5, they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us by God's will. Then to us means this idea that they, they knew about the need in Jerusalem to help the saints. And they said, we, we commit ourselves to walking with you to take care of them. Until this famine is over, we're with you. In other words, they weren't just willing to say, well, let's just get them on the road. You know, here's, here's you, know, what, what, you know, what's often called street money. You know, like, you know, here, just let me give you some front pocket money and, and get on out of here. No, they looked him in the eye and they said, Paul, we're going to walk with you. We're going to walk with these brothers and sisters as long as that need is present. We want to walk beside you. Yesterday in reserve, as we were gutting that, thank you to, to the team that I got to be part of yesterday and for the incredible work that you did. We had Macy Harris that was with us. Macy's on this camera right here. Um, so as young as 14, pulling down, I mean, like, it was bad. It was really, really bad, all the work we did. But we labored together there at First Baptist Reserve. And then to be able to come beside Pastor Robert and be able to pray for him and then to look at him and say, we're going to keep walking with you. We're going to keep doing these Saturday work days every day, all the way up through Thanksgiving. If we have to, we'll go beyond that. But we wanted to kind of give ourselves, you know, kind of a, uh, to let you know as a church here, you can count on this. And so we're going to go that distance. But I said, we want to keep walking with you as we go this road. And just the joy that filled his heart to know that he wasn't alone. And that those 20 to 25 believers that are down in reserve at First Baptist Reserve, they're not alone. Two of their deacons were there, and they couldn't stop thanking us. They couldn't stop saying how much it meant to know that they weren't alone. And we said, we'll be back. We'll be back. And that's, that's what it means when you look someone in the eyes and you say, we're going to walk with you the distance. I remember after Hurricane Katrina here in New Orleans with Edgewater Baptist Church, First Baptist Church of Thomasville, Georgia, looked Edgewater in the eyes and said, we're going to walk with you the full distance. And they stepped in in a way that Trinity Baptist Church and Lake Charles is stepping in with First Laplace. And they stepped in and said, we want to take care of the salary of your pastor for the next two years. We, we want to help with the expenses every month and send you a check for $10,000 a month in order to cover all of the expenses of just the ongoing expenses of the church and the recovery. And for two years, they walked the distance with us at Edgewater Baptist Church. That's what it means to look Someone in the eyes, like the church of Macedonia, looked Paul in the eyes and said, we give ourselves to you and to this ministry. But don't miss it. It all started with them first giving themselves fully to the Lord.
Paul wrote, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly in Philippians chapter 4, because once again you renewed your care for me. You were in fact concerned about me, but lacked the opportunity to show it. I don't say this out of need, for I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. I know how to make do with little, and I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. Still, you did well by partnering with me in my hardship, Paul says. He's writing to these churches that were in the same region as Macedonia. He's reminding them of just how much it meant to have them to walk with him. But he reminds them also of where his strength comes from. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. First Baptist, New Orleans, generosity is a spiritual condition, not a financial position. That's good news for us as a church. That no matter what the financial forecast the Spirit of God is able to produce in us a generosity that's independent of the rise and fall of markets, of how well portfolios perform. Instead, it is something that His Spirit produces in every one of us and us collectively as a body. Indeed, this is good news for First Baptist Reserve today, that in their affliction, in their abundant joy, in their poverty, that God is able to produce an overwhelming abundance, an overwhelming generosity in this moment. But it all starts with this, giving ourselves fully to the Lord. I wonder, when was the last time that you personally fully surrendered yourself to the Lord? You see, the reality for each one of us in this room that would say, I'm a Christian. I've given my life to the Lord. I've done that in my life where I've come to the place where I said, Jesus is Lord and Jesus, I give you my life. But there's something about continuing on in the Christian life where we, kind of as Paul describes it in, in Romans chapter 12, we're, we're a living sacrifice. And, and so in other words, that this living sacrifice, like we've given ourselves fully to the Lord, sometimes we, we, we tend to crawl off the altar. Or we tend to take things back and, and begin to treat them like they're ours again. And for each one of us, there needs to be a fresh surrender to the Lord. A desire to be filled fresh with this Holy Spirit so that everything that His Spirit intends to manifest in our lives, including generosity, will be manifest. Because remember, you can't do it. I can't do it. We can't do it. It's an act of grace. It's something that God gives to his church. It's something that he must produce in us. But the church of Macedonia first gave themselves to the Lord. And so we, we need to fully surrender again. And so I'm going to ask, maybe right where you are this morning, if you could even maybe kneel in a moment and just with hands open, there's just something about surrender. This is the, this is the I'm surrendering it to God position. To be able to say, God, I give you everything. I give you my life. And you may know right now that what you're most concerned about is your deductible. And, and it is for, first and foremost on your mind right now, would you give him your deductible? And say, Jesus, I don't know how you'll supply this need, but I give it to you. I give it to you, and I give everything that I am to you.
You may be right now in a place of saying, I, I want to help, but I don't know how. Will you give to Jesus that willing spirit to say, Jesus, will you just show me the need that I'm supposed to uniquely help with in this season? Will you do it, Lord, through the church? Some of you, you need to surrender your marriage because the strain of COVID and of hurricanes has been real. You need to resurrender your marriage. Parenting's been difficult. School interrupted, all these things. You need to give your kids back to the Lord. Let this be a moment and a, a worship time of surrender. Jesus is glorified when we surrender to him, when we first give ourselves to him, and then he fills us fresh with the Spirit. But there may be someone in this room this morning that you've never given yourself to Jesus. And that's what you need to do more than anything else this morning of, of giving him this or that is you need to give him yourself realizing that what you need more than anything in this life is the forgiveness of your sins, to be cleansed. It's what Rick said earlier. What can take away our sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make us whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. So maybe you're here this morning and, and what you need more than anything else is to give your life first to Jesus for the first time. If that's you, I want to challenge you to come forward in this moment. Don't stay in your seat. Don't be quiet about this, but come forward and find me right here. I want to pray with you and I want to be sure that you understand what it means to give your life to Jesus. But in this moment, I want to invite everyone to stand and for some of you, you may need to then kneel at your seat. Or some of you may need to come and just kneel at these steps and surrender fresh again. But let this be a moment of surrender. Let me pray for you as we worship. Lord, I pray that in this moment of response to the goodness of your gospel, that you would lead sinners to repentance. And Father, you would lead the church to first and foremost give herself to you. So in every one of our lives, may there be a fresh surrender this morning. You respond now as God leads.